Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. Uh, we're here to talk today about the defense against the Broncos. And joining me, our friend from across the pond, James Ogden. James, how you doing? Not bad, Ken. How are you? Uh, no complaints at all. Uh, we've we've had you on at least once this summer. I forget exactly what the topic was. It must have been that good. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but I've, I've forgotten the exact topic, but it was good. And that's why you're back here or doing a regular defense show. Yeah, it was uh, it was my defensive assists work uh, that you that we talked about uh, when I came on last time. So, uh, yeah. So, yeah, I'm very, very happy to be back on to, to talk uh, to talk defense this week. All right. Now, before we get too far into this, make sure people know what your Twitter handle is. Yeah, my, my Twitter is at NFL Ogden. Um, and you can find me on my own site on Red Star Baltimore. And I write for Russell Street Report as well. Okay. All right. Outstanding, James. Oh, Ken, uh, I should. Sorry, Ken. I should also get in that I'm also on the UK Ravens podcast. Uh, so they the the guy, the guys would kill me if I didn't if I didn't get the plug. I, I, I was go. thinking that might be the case. You know, it just we got this tweet that says, you know, he's one of us is finally on the show, kind of thing. <laughs> this is, this, yes, they would hate that. Okay, so finally a dominant defensive win after the first three weeks where the Ravens had constraining factors. They had injuries really against Detroit, held them back a very very shallow front five. Uh, and then two weeks before that, they had the kind of quarterback that probably gives them the most trouble, these quick-release guys uh, with Mahomes in Week 2 and Carr in Week 1. Absolutely. And I, I felt like the Lions, the Lions game was, was a – was just a lesson, really, that you you can't go into into an NFL game against even a, even opposition of that of that caliber. Probably one of the worst teams in the league. Um, although they are playing everyone pretty hard this year, um, you can't really go into that kind of game uh, with with losing, not having you know most of your pretty much all of your defensive line, and still expect to um, to win at a canter like you would in 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 ordinary circumstances. 
Yeah, the the, uh, the Lions really leaned on the Ravens in that game, too. I mean, they knew what the Ravens' weakness was, and they went right after them with six offensive linemen on a number of plays and a number of their heavy formations with a lot of tight ends and a fullback. And, uh, you know, just it, they, they knew how to go after them. And I agree. I mean, you know, NFL teams or NFL teams are all pretty good. And, uh, you know, scheme, scheme matters, and, and who you have available certainly matters. It, it surely does. They they, they attacked. They, yeah, they they attacked us very well. Um, I think they they also knew that you know we 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 do struggle with with let's say dynamic running backs out of the backfield, and they they utilize Swift really well. That you know mm-hmm. we took Hawkinson out, but there was um, um took Hawkinson out much more effectively than we'd taken Kelsey and Waller out. But uh, you know, it was at the it was it was at the expense of of giving up a lot of a lot of plays to Swift, right? And that that really exposed the inside linebacker weakness. And and I guess that's you'd expect that inside inside linebacker weakness to show up more in a game where your front five was really compromised because you know those those inside linebackers they have to make plays whether it's a run or or the pass rush not getting home they need to protect the middle of the field more in those terms. And and Goff in that second half really picked them apart, honestly, in, in, in terms of how he attacked those those linebackers. We're going to get to a little more inside linebacker stuff here, but one of the things that made the Broncos a little bit easier of an opponent, I thought, was the fact that they, they really do not vary their offense much. And, you know, we saw a, a, a fullback, uh, uh, not at all. We saw no sixth offensive lineman. We saw exactly one running back on every play, which is that's fairly normal in the NFL. And we saw 1.34 tight ends per play. So they had 82 on 59, I think it was. So it was a, um, a set of 11, 12, and 13 personnel packages. They never went 22 or 23 or, or any, anything crazy with 10 personnel. No, and, th- and this is that's really a Pat Shermer offense, isn't it? It's um, you know, it's it's very. <laughs> uh, I always remember the story about how. Um, uh, the uh, the Washington owner is it Snyder, Snyder Dan Snyder mm-hmm. um, went into um, Mike Nolan's dressing room after a game and said he uh, and no after a dress after a game had in um, Mike Nolan's office had, had left some vanilla ice cream for him and told him he didn't like vanilla play calling um, well, he wouldn't have liked Pat Shermer particularly too much <laughs> uh, but Pat Shermer I think you know he's been a he's been an offensive coordinator play caller for a, you know over a decade so he does something right <laughs> but. One of the things that is a hallmark of his offenses is that you know they they run the ball and they run play action and it and it's and it's you know it's pretty simple you you just got to stop it it's it there's there's not a lot of smoke and mirrors to it in the same way that we've seen in in you know we've we've obviously played some especially with the Chiefs you know we played some very very um, interesting exotic offenses yeah. over the last few few games. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the Ravens, in fact, this, despite the fact you're always facing 11, you know, there are some fans out there, I think you'd say you can't really rotate your personnel as easily because you have to have your, your, your same packages on front. Well, that's not really true because the NFL, you, you, you have so much ability to rotate through the very most standard packages and the nickel is the base now in the NFL for just about every team. So they didn't really overwork anybody in this game, which I'm happy to see for a change. 59 total snaps. Campbell had 40. Bowser and Oway among the outside linebackers had 42. That's good rotation, good Ravens rotation to those players. 
Yeah, and I felt that was, I mean, it was probably out of necessity the last few games, but, uh, you know, we, we've seen this, we've seen the Ravens go away from that slightly the last few games and, and play some heavy snap counts for some guys. But I was I was really interested to see, and then, I, I you know, going back to the tape, we're, we're recording here on, um, on Monday night, so we don't have the All-22 yet, but I did, uh, you know, I've, I've been back and watched the broadcast um, a few times in prep for tonight. Um, and so seeing... It was, uh, you could see on tape, I think, why, but, you know, we were, Matabike, Washington, um, those guys, even Brandon Williams' snap count was pretty low um, for our Ravens, for our Ravens defense. So they, they kept those, they kept those, uh, those guys on the, uh, Campbell away, uh, Houston on the field, field for, field quite a lot. I was, I was interested to see that. Yeah, so Campbell still got a fair amount of snaps in this game. But, you know, he had been, before he came to the Ravens, he'd played between 77% and 80% of his team's snaps for five consecutive years. So it's an overworking of a guy his age. And it's amazing to me the productivity he has playing 40 snaps in a game. I thought, you know, one of the things that'd be really great about going to the Ravens is he play less. And he has. He's played a lot less. But but he he greatly increases productivity for him. I think we've seen that increased productivity this year um, more than last year where he was he was playing hurt when he was playing. Yeah, and I think that the challenge for the Ravens is that I think one of the one of the underrated aspects of defense of that you need in defensive line play is is mental processing. Like you you have to you have to be you have to understand what blocks are coming from where and how to deconstruct them. Yeah. And experience is no substitute in in that in that in that phase of play. So I think the the not having Derek Wolf through the start of the season has been a, has been a big reason why Calais is is playing so many snaps because you just uh, Wolf and Campbell on the field together is great, but also if you can get at least one of them on the field, you've at least got a guy who who understands how to how to deconstruct those blocks and and you could see I mean, Brandon Williams is great at that too, but it's like, it's a slightly different role that he plays. So when you see Madabike, I feel like it's, you know that's one of the I'm sure we'll get into it, but I feel like that's one of the areas for his development still um, in the run game recognizing blocks where they're coming from and, and how he's going to deconstruct those so it, I think that's why Campbell's had had a high snap count for me just because of the absence of Wolf. Yeah that's that's one of the things you always hear is just how complicated it is for defensive tackles to play the run yeah. um, and particularly two gapping defensive tackles that's that won't be a problem for Matapike because he's a he's a one gap penetrator but uh, you know, will be uh, something that that he needs to improve his learning on. I'm just, I'm so impressed with where Matabike right now is in his ability to win one-on-one pass rush situations. Yeah. It's it's hard to be upset with him for any any shortcomings <laughs> in the run game. Let's move on a little bit. I, I thought, you know, one of the things that really stood out about this game, and the Ravens obviously played a very tough physical game, and I, I talked about that a little bit in the article. I'm not going to get into that on the show here because I think it's not as useful. But the complementary pass rush and coverage was really something in this game. I mean, you know, I, I look for certain clues, but, you, you know, you you always see when the quarterback holds the ball for five seconds and he gets sacked anyway, and they say, oh, it's a coverage sack. Well, yeah, obviously, but there's a, there's a lot of clues that you can look for to see when pass rush and coverage are playing nice with each other, are really helping each other out. And, uh, you know, it, it, you see balls thrown away, for example. I, by the way, toss in any when you, when, you, when you think of them, James. But, you know, one of the things is, is cornerbacks really going step-by-step step with receivers up the sideline and using the boundary well. Uh, to me, that's, that's a technique that does a very good job of providing the pass rush time to get home. And when you usually see that ball thrown, it's usually out of bounds. Yeah, and I feel like... Um 
Sorry, I'm, I'll, I always dive straight into players. I feel like Avery did a really good job in this game. Uh, oh, yeah. In what was what was what was it a real what could have been a real mismatch for him um, with Sutton and Patrick, but he. As you said, he used the boundary really well, and and I, I, I you know I just couldn't agree more with you that the 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 way that the Ravens played this week in terms of uh, in terms of that complementary pass rush and coverage was was um, you know it was it was great. It was back to um, it was back to what we expect. I think we always let ourselves get diverted when we can here. But Patrick and, and Cortland Sutton, enormous receivers, mm. and, and you know beyond that, they use tight ends. You know, yeah. Al, Albert, Albert O and Fant. I mean, they, they had so much size on the Ravens and they never really were able to press that advantage in any meaningful way. I mean, they, they, those guys, they got a lot of targets. The, those four guys ended up, I think, with 24, 25 targets, something like that for the game. But it was ended up maybe uh, 26 for 143 yards. So five and a half yards per target. Just that's not that's that's not going to do it. Not if when, that's not when your best players are doing that. No, and I, I, we got a. Um, I can hear people in my in my in my. I think we got a little lucky that um, with with Drew Locke playing in the second second half, it was it was a it was a different offense, and he he was missing guys, and he also wasn't able to. You know, you, you saw flashes in the. I mean, Teddy didn't have a great game, but you you mm-hmm. saw flashes in the first half where he was able to um, to read where the blitz was coming from and and, and get it to a guy like Sutton or Patrick, who was well, Patrick mostly in the first half, who was who was. Using his body well to to make catches, and we got a bit lucky with Locke, who was quite inaccurate in the second half, and and certainly didn't have the same kind of brains to be able to to pick off our blitz packages. Although Wink dialed up, um, you know, his, his, the exotic rating on the blitz packages got went up as the game went as the game went on. We, we need to talk about this a little later because I'm not yeah. sure I agree with that statement. But oh, okay. okay. We'll, we'll we'll talk through it a little bit. Um, it's it, it certainly is everybody's observation from the game is this is a real complex blitz package. But I got a few numbers to share to to, to that end. Cool. That'd be great. Um, you know, the, the other things I just want to tell people, you know, my, my thoughts about other things to look for, to see that pass rush and coverage are complementing each other's one is look for the defender to become the receiver. When that happens, it's usually a case of that play has gone on for a while. There's a, been a chance to look back and track that football by the defender. Usually a good sign. Um, pressure that throws off screen timing. Diagnosis that forces those screens to be grounded. That's great complementary play. Hands in the air to prevent easy and hot reads. Quick tackling when they get completed anyway, because a lot of those are going to get completed anyway. But, uh, but you know, have your linebackers and safeties make quick tackles, and, and, and that's pass rushing and coverage working together. I, I named a whole bunch more in the article and I've got a barking dog now. So I'm going to, I'm going to leave it at that. Yeah. I was going to say, I think, um, so w- one of the guys, I'm, I, I'm, I don't know if we'll get into, I was just, yeah, I'm not sure if we'll get into it, but I, I um, one of the guys who, I mean, I put a tweet out about him. I, I do think, um, was great in terms of the, um, completions happening and, and, and getting, getting tackles made was Chuck Clark, who, um, is just turning into a, is turning into a really, really highly competent safety who um uses his his mental processing to 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 increase his play speed and takes just great angles to the football so he i felt like he was he was a he was a big you know he often gets 
sort of taken for granted a little bit. I think you know he oh, signed, signed a deal. <laughs> no, no, no. But I think fa- some fans do, don't they? And he, you know, he signed a good deal. So it's kind of like, oh, he's banked. He's there. He's going to just play well every game. And actually, you know, you you got to call out when he has really. You got to call out those guys when they have really good games. And I thought he had a really great game on on Sunday. Yeah, a great game against the Lions too. I mean, yeah. one, one of the things I think they're actually losing some value from Clark by have to, having to play him on the back end. And they split that duty a little bit with Stevens, but um, Clark is taking a lot of back end responsibility. Um, Jimmy Smith had some too, I guess, but but Clark's taking a lot. And he's really an outstanding dime back yeah. if they could get their safeties aligned because, you know, being in the middle of that defense and and being able to cover for some of the inside linebacker weakness we'd have, just it's just an enormous potential value of Clark. We saw that last week when he led the team in tackles. And uh, you know he was he was in the middle of that defense, knowing what knowing what's going on. I, there's there I, there's almost no player on that defense right now. And you know maybe Oway, maybe Humphrey, who if you lost him, it would be more significant. Maybe Campbell, um, but but uh, none of them would really be any any significantly more uh, of a loss than Clark, who who holds that defense together right now. Couldn't agree more with you. Um, I, th- I think, um, you know, I'm sure we'll get into Oway um, and the, the pressures, but he, you know, that I feel like the Chuck Clark is, is just, he, I think, it, I think you're right. I think they are, they are struggling to not struggling. They they are not, they are not getting the best out of him because, because of, because of where they're playing him. I, I wonder whether that was some, some of the thought process behind the Stevens pick um, mm-hmm. to try and, Try and get get some something else back there. Although that, I suppose that could yeah. also be about about Elliot being out of contract too. But he's a, I think I think the hope was that Brandon Stevens would be the free safety of the future. The problem is he's so damn versatile. They've used him all over the place, and so you know they want to make him a. This is preseason, really, but they make him a slot corner or make him an outside corner even. Uh, but but he's I, I I hope he improves in some areas, tackling recognition where he hasn't been so great at the NFL level. And I think that'll naturally come with experience. Yeah, I think so, too. All right. Um, what else do we want to talk about in this one? The tackling and pursuit issues. I, I mean, I, I, I hate to keep bringing this up every week because I really don't want to have this show just become a bash Patrick Queen fest. We spent probably 20 minutes talking about it last week. Uh, unfortunately, he had another terrible game. And, uh, you know, really four... Uh, tackles that were a big problem. Um, I, even though he didn't get a missed tackle on the play, I was incredibly frustrated by the 31-yard run by Williams and all of the things that went wrong on that play. Yeah, I've got like a, a bunch of notes on that play, <laughs> um, <laughs> which uh, sort of says that, uh, so yeah, there was a bunch of things that went wrong. Um, I, I don't, I certainly, I don't actually think it was Queen's worst uh, worst play, play of the day, of no. the day. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, you know you, you, what I felt you saw on there was actually you, you got you had you had a couple of guys playing playing their assignment. You had Oa setting the edge. You had Campbell controlling the point of attack, and then not a lot else really. Um, you know T- Tavon re- Tavon Young reads it really well, but then but then the the whiff is is pr- is pretty bad it's not it's mm-hmm. not a whiff that's a helpful whiff that, we, that we've talked about before where didn't turn the running back and or change his track in any direction yeah. no it just it was it it was great that he saw it and he got got there but uh yeah there was nothing there and and then i it was one of the plays where uh, you know i i was a bit concerned about anthony Averett. if you stop the if you pause the 
the um the the play you can actually see him sort of rock back on his heels as if he's sort of saying i don't i'm not sure i want to get involved with javante williams here mm-hmm. uh, so i was a little disappointed that he didn't sort of stick his nose in there uh, and and you know and then you've got <laughs> it it was a catalog of i've got like bowser's on skates bowser's um, a mess yeah <laughs> um, stevens gets stevens yeah <laughs> um as, and i think it was i think it was a i think it was stevens and was it Stevens and Bowser? I think you couldn't combine for the tackle. And it was almost like there was a lot of focus on the fact, because Marlon Humphrey said afterwards, didn't he? he couldn't believe he got dragged for 30 yards, but I'm not actually sure Marlon was the, the worst culprit on that, on that play. I, I, you know, honestly, the fact that Marlon hung on saved the mm. touchdown. Yeah. So I, you know, I, I like that. I, 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 Anthony Averett probably deserved a missed tackle on the play, possibly for not just sticking his nose in there, but, but that, that would be a, just a, just kind of a judgment missed tackle you'd be assigning. But I thought he, he didn't get a good angle from behind the play. And then he kind of jumped on Marlon's back more than he jumped on Williams and fell off the play, yeah. which probably was fortunate because he could have dragged Humphrey off of, off of Williams the way he, uh, you know, attacked from directly behind. I, I, I really, you know, one of the things that really strikes me is Justin Ellis got pancaked at the line of scrimmage. He was on his ass. He had to get up and run to that play. He got there at the same time as Queen did. Okay, there's a whole bunch of other guys, Clark, Tavon Young, who were down behind the play. I mean, they did not catch up either. I mean, it's it's not just Queen. What what looked bad about what Queen and Ellis did is that they were side running, you know, running parallel to the play, and each of them had a point where they slowed down, and then the tackle didn't get made, and they had to speed up again. I mean, just, you know, get in there, and finally OA, you know, saved the day and made the play there, and Temporarily only, they still scored on that one, but uh, annoying play. Yeah, and I think it was Alex getting put on his butt was was a microcosm of I think of the. I, you know, I, I'm not going to give um, Queen and Harrison a, a big pass f- for the for this game because I, I do think there were there were many issues. But one of the things I would sort of temper with this game was that I felt it was a strange game for the defensive line in terms of occupying double teams. I felt that the Broncos. Uh, schemed up pretty well uh, in the run game to create good angles on yeah. on Brandon Williams and and others on that defensive line. I'm at a BK where they 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 created down blocks um, and easy blocks for those those three. Uh, well, specifically for Mooty and um, and Quinn Minots, who are obviously making their debuts. Uh, no, Mooty Mooty's played a bit already. Um, so I think. That to me was 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 part of the story as well for Queen and Harrison that you know they were not running free they were targeting Queen and you know Queen Queen has to be better he has to read his keys better he has mm-hmm. to understand that teams are going like he he has a weakness that he he cannot get off bigger blockers and um, when they have a run at him so he has to understand that that is a weakness of his game and he has to improve his his processing to be able to beat those blocks mm-hmm. before they get there and he has to understand that teams are going to use jet motion they're going to use things to distract him to give him eye candy to set him up as vulnerable to to a second level blocker and the broncos i felt did that really well and they they combined it not just by getting to Queen and, and setting up and doing all that smoke and mirrors. Well, not all that smoke and mirrors. They didn't do a lot of smoke and mirrors, but a little mm-hmm. bit of smoke and mirrors to isolate Queen. Uh, and I also felt like our defensive line didn't help out. I think that's part of the story, but probably not the main part of the story. 
Yeah, it's, you're giving Shermer's offense a lot of credit <laughs> with their consistent 11 personnel of being able to confuse Queen. But honestly, Queen has looked very confused and not getting off blocks has been a consistent issue. You know, I, you, you mentioned a good thing when you say process faster and avoid the block. But there's another element. He's got to use his length better. And yeah. he, he doesn't have exceptionally long arms, but that's where you go to the old defensive line tenet that one long, one arm's longer than two. And I know they don't always teach linebackers to do that because you want to kind of two-gap a blocker coming at you so you can go either way to get the, to where the running back is is going. But you got to have you got to have some ability to commit one way. Um, the other thing I, I really haven't seen from his is gap commitment. And, and one of the plays that really showed it up is one where he wasn't on the field. So Josh Bynes was on the field uh, for four straight plays. And I think it might have been the first one or maybe the second. There was a run right yeah. for 10 yards. Bynes, you know, the good news, Bynes evaluated what was going on, diagnosed it, got in the backfield, got to the ankles of the player. It was a diving attempt. I noticed that PFF charged him with a missed tackle on this. I don't think I would. I mean, I, I just I think it's too tough for for a diving play is, is not generally where you want to toss in a missed tackle lightly. And, and he, he just didn't quite get it. But the problem is, Queen has the athleticism and the speed to make that play, but he wouldn't have had the, had the, had the you know, uh, understanding or the diagnosis skills to get there as quickly. No, I agree. And, and the other thing we saw from Josh Bynes on occasion was, uh, I think it was in that, that set of plays, I, I, I made a note that he kind of showed Queen how to do it in terms of getting off a, a bigger blocker as well. There was a point where he got off a, he got off a bigger blocker um, and he used his length, actually. Um, and I went and looked up their measurables just because I thought, am I missing something on Bynes? Is he, mm-hmm. is he that much bigger than Queen? And I'm, no, actually, he's, he's not. <laughs> um, <laughs> so you're right. It's, it's, it's Queen learning how to deploy what he has better in terms of his speed and even his size, which isn't which isn't big, but you know you can deploy that size better than than um, than he is doing currently. Right. I, I I had Queen for three missed tackles in this game, um, and there there are like no doubt about it misses. But there was another where he was outmaneuvered by Patrick in the open field for 13 yak. I mean, that, that was a bad play. I yeah. Probably a lot of play people aren't going to call that a missed tackle, but it was just a bad play. I'm I, I really. I don't want to have to say bad things about Queen every week, but I think we're at a point where he's got to take on a more limited role where he can focus on a smaller set of responsibilities and getting better at that. And unfortunately, this may make him a player who gets to be good about the time we're going to lose him. Uh, but it's it's the nature. Yeah, I, I think the, the, the other thing that, um, we have to remember. I, I, I don't want to. Don't want to make excuses for him. But I, I think the other thing is, you know, he's a, he's a very he is a very young player, and that was that was the that was a risk we don't actually often take in the draft, where we take guys that are we we usually prefer a bit more production, a bit more um, time as a starter. He, you know, didn't did even in even his final year at LSU, he didn't he didn't grab the starting job until about two three games in. So he's mm-hmm. very experienced, poor coming out of college as well as into the pros. So I think you're right. I think the career tra- trajectory may, may be different than we expected, um, and that may be a like like you say that may be a, a problem for us because it may be as we're as we're looking to to take up his option and 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 then to potentially lose him. Right. I mean, that, that's that's really the question is they have to decide after year three whether they take that fifth year option. It will not be cheap, of course. It never is. And then they may have to decide he's only going to be a four year Raven, which uh, will make it much more difficult to resign him, of course. Yeah. 
All right. Let's um, let's go on and talk some packages to, uh, in this game because there were some interesting things in what the Ravens did package-wise because, you know, we've, we've noted the inside linebacker difficulties they've had, and now for several weeks we've been talking about this on this show, and yet Martindale is not changing despite the available personnel to do so to play more dime or more um, five-man fronts in passing situations, even with dime, that could give you a zero inside linebacker look. He, he really didn't try and do that in this game. He played, in fact, exactly two inside linebackers on every single snap. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting point. I, I, I wonder whether that's something to do with the, with the, with the defensive backfield the, the challenges of the defensive backfield in terms of in, in terms of injuries and and not wanting to not wanting to press too many inexperienced guys into 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 too big a role too quickly. But I, I guess the point now is that we're getting to a point where that that might start to become a necessity because you you may imagine that the play from from some of those more inexperienced guys in the defensive backfield actually may end up being may end up being better than than what they're getting currently out of the two linebackers that they have on the field. Yeah, I mean, I, I what I always say, and I, I did. I thought Harrison and Board both played pretty well in yeah. this game. Yeah, but 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 what I always say is that um, your third best coverage safety is almost always going to be the better than your second best coverage inside linebacker, which is why the dime almost makes sense for any team. And, and you can talk about, oh no, we you know we got to fit our defense to do this, and we want to have three down unicorns at both positions. Um, it just it doesn't really make sense. It doesn't make organizational sense from a cap perspective, and it really doesn't make sense in terms usually of who your actual personnel are when you're being honest. I think the the, the defensive coordinators who stick with it are guys who are afraid to get caught with their pants down on an ensuing first down against no huddle with a light lineup that they think it'll be easy to run on and get a fresh set of downs. Again, Dean Pease really, I always thought that about him. Uh, I I don't, I I, I really, Martindale does, has not shown that sort of fear. And I, I don't really understand why against Denver, you know, they went with a smaller lineup. The only thing I think is that the guys they have as receivers were so big that they really thought they needed bigger tacklers on the field in, in Queen and Harrison. Yeah, that, that could have been part of it. You know, th- that was one of the things with this with this offense that I think you'd have, you'd have been a lot more worried about this offense uh, and and the the way that we we would set up in terms of personnel if you'd had if they'd had Judy and, and Hamler available, two guys who can who can win quickly and can win off press too. So that that probably pl- played into I'm sure that played into it with with um yeah, with with the fact that Sutton and and um, and Patrick and Fan and Okwe Okwe Ubenam, I think Alberto, Alberto, let's leave it at that. Yeah, uh, yeah definitely. All right, yeah, it's uh, it's it, it, again. I think it's, it's very good that the Ravens, you know, made it so that those players never imposed themselves on the game. I felt very good about that. You know, coming out. Go quickly through the packages here. Base they played twelve times, only allowed thirty four yards, two point eight yards per play. Uh, the standard nickel again. They went to this an awful lot. Nineteen plays uh, that included the 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 thirty one yard drag and miss tackle fest that we that we discussed. But uh, you know, otherwise it wasn't all that bad. Nineteen plays, one hundred eight yards, five point seven yards per play. That's when that's your worst package. That's pretty good. Um, so they, they did have they played one race car nickel snap where they gave up eight yards and uh, and that I guess would technically be more, but but, but uh, who cares. Uh, they played a lot of jumbo nickel in this game. Actually, not a lot, but five plays. Odd package here. Don't know if you noticed it. They only had one outside linebacker on the field for five plays. 
and they used uh, three defensive linemen, two inside linebackers, one outside linebacker, which is odd. And then obviously the five defensive backs. I, I think it really belongs categorized with like a jumbo nickel because of the three defensive linemen and five DBs is the oddball combination that repeated. Yeah, and I, I feel like that was to, I, th- I feel like that was to negate the fact that y- you know the, the the thing you need to sell out to stop with the Broncos is the run. Like you have to stop the run first and foremost. Otherwise, you, you can see with Shermer's offense, the way he um, uses run action once he's established the run um, can really throw people can throw people off. So um, you know the the pullers um, on play action, it, it just it, it will happen a lot. So if you don't if you don't stop the run early. So it does feel like that, that was, that was predicated on that. I feel. Yeah. Now when you say run action, as opposed to play action, you're, you're talking about pulling on a pass play. Yeah. Okay, great. I just, I, some people do use different terms, but that's a, that's a you good know, one. Yeah. Uh, you know, definitely something the Ravens do a lot, uh, uh, is, is, uh, is pull to, uh, and then, and then pass without even going to the mesh point. They'll, they'll do it with, uh, yeah. uh, just on any given play. Um, let's see, anything else to talk about? They did play a lot of rush nickel with three outside linebackers, one defensive lineman. Uh, they used that in the first half. They used it on all these obvious passing situations. Then they used it at the end of the first half. Then the second half, they used it on obvious passing situations. And then, kind of like they did with the dime in 2019, once they got the game in hand late in the fourth quarter, they just actually midway through the fourth quarter, they just went to this package every single play, which is, that's what I like to see. I like to see them, you know, get back in a nice, easy, obviously as early as possible, you'd like your team to be able to go into pass prevent long and, and, uh, and just play that alone. Yeah. I, yeah, I agree. And I, I think, um, you know, yeah, I, th- I think Oway helps them as well with the with the packages as well. You know, you, mm-hmm. with the with the speed that he brings onto the field, it's um, you know, it does help them. Uh, it does help them get you know get more uh, get more defensive backs on the field in those kind of in those kind of situations. This is one of the interesting things about about Oway and what he does for you is he he really gives you that same flexibility that you'll you'll we'll get someday. I think we'll get the same flexibility from him that we now get from Bowser. It's but Oway has the luxury of adding those duties kind of on the fly as he can handle them. And not only that, he's doing a good job of learning them and handling them one at a time as he goes right now. You know, including some of the things he's he's already showing about having a secondary pass rush move, uh, you know, being able to be a, a stunt under guy. Wait, that is not obvious to me. I mean, it's obvious to me he'd be a looper. It's not obvious to me he'd, he'd be a stunt under guy. But when you think about it a little bit, his length is extremely useful there. You, you try to cross the face of a guard, go crash into a center. And the other thing is, just like with a tackle who overreacts to anything he does, the entire offense, including the running back, overreacts to what Oway does. Uh, you know, particularly we saw the Lions doing that where they had him triple teamed on one play. And Clark got the sack on that. Yeah, I, I think this was one of the reasons I was most excited about him coming out coming out of Penn State was because when you watch his when you watch um, so I went back and watched every single snap of his college mm-hmm. career, and when you go back and watch every single snap of his college career, what you see is a guy who who hasn't played who hasn't played a lot of organized ball who 
who gets who gets better every every snap and this was the this was the thing he was he was starting at such a such a low point in terms of understanding of the game understanding of even his body understanding his body and how he how he would deploy it as a as a pass rusher um but you saw him pick up stuff you saw him try stuff in games it was it was it, he was he was getting better with every snap so i did feel like you, you were betting on someone who who had who had who had real potential because they had they had that kind of development gene that he that he seems to have, and you can see that in these first few games. Like you mentioned, it, it's it's um, it's interesting. The, the the thing I'd like to see him do more of, because uh, I, I I'm I'm a huge fan, so let's <laughs> I'm not I'm not just jumping straight to his areas of improvement. The thing I'd like to see him do more of is I felt the the tackles in this game uh, gave up their chest quite a bit for him. Uh, I'd like to see him start converting speed to power a bit more consistently and coming through some of those tackles because they, they, they were really scared of his, of, of his speed. And so they, they, they were giving up their chest pretty quick, pretty often. And I'd like to see him just adapt a little more in game um, and have a bit more of a plan in rep to, to what he's seeing from, from, from the offensive tackles, I think. Yeah, he's got because he's so athletic. He has got a broad array of possible secondary moves, possible first first moves, and possible second moves. But I, I think you know, one of the cool things to see is going to be that it's not just one thing. You know, it's it's the ability to go to length and maybe a chop. It's ability to go from length to a spin. It's the ability to, to you know do all sorts of things by taking Eurostep is is you know an, a contactless version of that sort of pass rush move, which uses his athleticism. Uh, all of them, you know, are, are, are viable. And if he has two or three of the tool shed, it's not going to be fair. No. It's just, it's really fair. <laughs> well, the, the, the thing as well on his sack um, was just, it was, it was on the, did he have a, no, he only had one, didn't he? Um, on his sack, I'm thinking of the, the obvious one. Um, he, he was, it, it was his use of hands that was that was most impressive to me because it was yeah. one thing out of college that you, we, you saw a lot of and but was a little bit inconsistent. But the way he controlled the outside arm of the offensive tackle to be able to flatten to the quarterback, yeah. if he can continue to do that, you know his his like you say, it's not going to be fair because his 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 closing speed is ridiculous. So, uh, you know, it, and, and there's all, we also saw flashes of, of, of get off in this game as well. We saw flashes of burst um, from him, which I think we sort of knew he had in his locker, but he was playing run first at Penn State and he's playing run first a little bit here too. So we saw flashes of that burst, but his second and third step is, is scary. Mm-hmm. He's got great, great motor too. Yeah. And, you know, with the, with the Ravens coverage being what it is, with the secondary being what it is, I mean, this is an ideal place for him in terms of, uh, you know, being able to take his time. In fact, you know, with the sack he had against the Chiefs sack, no, it's a quarterback hit on the interception. He actually disrupted Kelsey's route to start that play, then started his pass rush. And, you know, just just like a a any disruption by press coverage um, or maybe, maybe a better example is by chip block. If a, if a running back chips or a tight end chips, they, they then have a limited set of routes that they can really run. You know, they're all secondary routes. They can't really be the primary target anymore when they chip. So you, you know, you're, you're, you have a limited set of things you can do. Well, you think the same really works for a pass rusher. If they jam a receiver as a first choice, well, that limits them as a pass rusher. And, and just uh, it, the motor that he has and the time the Ravens can sometimes give him to, 
to operate is really, uh, you know, McCrary 2000 level stuff. I mean, it's going to be fun to watch. And anybody thinking that this is because he's a rookie and people are leaving him alone and and not, you know, just giving him one-on-one opportunities yeah. all the time, that is not the case. He is Completely getting focused regularly. It's, yeah. it's, it's, yeah. Even in the Raiders game, you saw it. They were, they already came out. And that was, that was ironically, that was part of the problem um, in terms of his sack production at Penn State was that he was, he was, he was the sole focus of their, of um, of teams when they were coming in to play them, they just it was like, oh god, please don't let this kid ruin the game. He, he probably improved Shakatoni's draft status yeah. significantly with with the amount of attention that he got there. And I, and know, and Etor Gross Matos is the the year previously yeah, the year as well. Before, yeah, 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 the year before. Um, okay, so let's move on to talk about the pass rush a little bit. This since we jumped into Oway and talked about him, we don't have to come back to it. Uh, my, I know you you said earlier that we thought that you know Martindale had pretty well greased up a, a big plan here, but but there's quite a bit here that was very um, limited in terms of, of the Ravens' pass rush. I mean, they dropped back 42 times for starters. Um, they gave up only eight ample time and space opportunities. It's 19%, and I know you know, not completely maybe familiar with, with these numbers as I report them, but uh, that's significantly lower than normal, maybe about uh, 30% or a little higher would be about average. So really good opportunity. Most of those are in the second half, by the way, that they gave away. Bridgewater only had two ample time and space opportunities in the first half, so they did a really good job with him. Uh, but in terms of numbers, let's start with that. They only rushed five plus on 15 plays. So it's 15 out of 42. Now that's a lot for the NFL, but it's not a lot for Martindale to rush 30 6%. Yeah, no, that, that, that chimes with me. I think, um, I shouldn't have used the word exotic earlier because I, I don't think this was an exo- particularly exotic game. I think mm-hmm. as the game wore on, I think wink, I think Wink brought some slightly different pressure packages as the game wore on into the second half. Um, but I, I don't think this was a particularly exotic game from him. I just think that the the exotic meter on his blitzes went up slightly as the game went on. Uh, it would be a better, better way okay, to put it. That's fair enough. And it sounds like you're talking about like elements of deception, as I would count. Yes, you may yeah, have others. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. So... You know, there's blitzes and there's blitzes. I really hate the definition everybody uses of a blitz, a five plus, because it doesn't mean a damn thing. If you show people five, they know how to block the five. It's not really confusing to them. But off-ball blitzes um, are when a player comes for me more than a yard and a half off the the line of scrimmage, or they come from a a slot cornerback or further out. And they used only eight of those in this game, 0.19 per pass play. That's extremely low for Wink. He did have zero against Mahomes, by the way. But he, but he, but he had last week against the Lions, he used at 0.36 per pass play. So double the amount of, of off-ball blitzes. And on those plays, um, Bridgewater and Locke picked them apart. And, you know, you, it's really hard to find any division of plays where Denver did well in this game. But when they used individual blitzes, they were seven of eight for 104 yards, 13 yards per play. Yeah, and this chimes with yeah. I mean, it just uh, the data isn't a surprise to me. Um, I, I would, I think it was it more Bridgewater because it felt like it was more Bridgewater that shredded those blitzes. I don't know whether you've got that, Ken. I do have it. So let's see, off-ball blitzes in the first half. Uh, Queen for PR 11, Harrison PL 19. Uh, PL3 on a queen, PL12, PL14. It probably was more Bridgewater. It felt, um, yeah. 
you know, six six of them were against Bridgewater. There were only two blitzes the entire second half. They went for thirteen and thirty two though. So forty five yeah. yards in the second half. Yeah, it did it did feel like it was it was um Bridgewater that they that they yeah, obviously they didn't blitz lock lock as much, but it did feel like with, with Bridgewater it was it was um he he the thing is, so I'm, I'm doing the preview series for for a sort of street report this year, and um, so I've watched I watched a lot of Bridgewater in the lead up to this game, and and he he is just operating the offense. It's a West Coast offense. He's operating it very competently. Right. He, he's you know he's making his reads. He's throwing the ball on time. So it, you know those kind of I, I suspect Wink was a, was a little bit wary of of how good. Um, Bridgewater has been against the blitz so far this season and, and it bore itself out in the first half. You know, he, he ID'd those blitzes really well and threw, threw in behind them to, like I said earlier, to, to, you know, Tim Patrick a lot, who was, who was, who was using his body well to, um, to box out and, and make those receptions. So there was definitely that, that element to it, but um, yeah, I, the numbers, not a surprise to me. <laughs> All right. Um, stunts are another thing I look for a lot. And, you know, a lot of people think that the stunts are called by the defensive coordinator. A lot of them are actually called on field by the players. And in fact, Campbell has said in the past that, you know, you're, he's allowed to call a stunt anytime he wants, as long as there is not a design blitz coming on the play that it might I- interact with. So he, he uh, or on field or sorry, in the game, they, they stunted nine times individually. And that's when it looked like to me, there was a plan to stunt on the play. Sometimes you get a loop that's because somebody's being blocked and they'll kind of bop off it. But these look like nine individual plans. Five times it was one and two times it was two on the same play. There's an old X's and O's game called double twist. Willie would have been the play that you'd be running if you did that. But those seven plays with a stent stunt went for seven total yards um, those included one sack. So, so that was a um, a nice way that the Ravens got effective pressure was by stunting, as opposed to these off ball blitzes. Yeah, and one of the things I felt on the stunts was actually that the 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 reason why a lot of those were successful was because the the Broncos were very wary about their interior offensive line being inexperienced. So they yeah. reduced the splits right down. The running back, if he was releasing into a route, always went 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 through the A gap to release out into the route. And he also often stayed in and was sort of predeter- was predetermined to stay in and and um, ID through the ID the middle. So they put a lot of pressure on their tackles and I felt that was where the pressure came from on stunts. They they clogged the middle a lot and the the stunts were were very effective really in in, in freeing up space outside. Yeah, it's a great point that the, the Ravens came into this game with 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 two new guards and 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 Miners and Moody, I mean both very impressive run blockers. But the, but the inexperienced pass blockers at the NFL level, I mean, both of them, I think they expect them to become good players. But, uh, you know, what was interesting about it is the Ravens really beat the tackles. Uh, they beat the tackles one on one, not just not just, a, you know, having to, you know, bombard the A and B gaps to try and find opportunities to beat the tackles or the guards. But they they uh, they did a wonderful job with with both Bowser and um, uh, away beating those guys silly Houston too as well was was yeah uh, good point yeah. Mm. so last thing about deceptive pass rushes simulated pressures they had 10 simulated pressures in this game and those are those were you know not as effective as just doing other things with a pass because they have 57 yards 
which doesn't seem like a lot, 5.7 yards per play. But when they're overall, they only had three and a half yards per pass play. You got to say, well, there are other things that worked even better. So uh, there was a 32 yard pass in there that kind of skewed the results. But uh, but otherwise, it was a it was it was an interesting group of, of plays that had a, uh, a decent number of pressures and QHs, um, but uh, but not the best yard result. Yeah, it's. Um... Uh, yeah, that's interesting to me because that I think that was that the simulated pressure is is, pro- is probably what I was talking about in terms of dialing up the the exotic nature towards mm-hmm. into the second half. Oh um, yeah, I agree. Uh, yeah, and I think that's 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 interesting. That, that very interesting to hear the the um, the resultant yardage from that actually. But let's first mention Tick Pick because they're back with us today. That's T I C K P I C K, as in tickets pick. Uh, no need to search over the internet anymore for your Ravens tickets because TickPick, T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K, is the original no-fee ticket site and the only site you need for all your NFL tickets. They got rid of all those uh, awful service fees, and they guaranteed the best prices. If you find it cheaper for the same seats, they'll give you 110% of the difference price. Uh, Spence reached out this week, uh, wanted to use the code, because he wanted, they was, he was looking to the same game I'm looking at Thursday night football down in Miami. That's going to be an attractive game for Raven fans to jump on. And he went on to TickPick, used the code Ravens, and saved his ten dollars. So head over to TickPick.com/ravens and use the code Ravens when you check out for ten dollars off your tickets and to show support for film study. Looking forward to that Miami game. Go be down there and see you for that, Josh and Spencer. You too. Yeah. Right, so I'm looking, yep, in the fourth, <laughs> four in the second half, four simulated pressures. For some reason, I thought I saw a bunch of simulated pressures towards the end of the game, but it's really at the end of the first half. Oh, they, right. did, they did four straight simulated pressures as well. That went well, PR3 and then three straight incompletes. So. Yeah, that, that drive at the end of the first 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 half, actually, yeah, that drive was quite, that was an impressive drive, wasn't it? The um, mm-hmm. Because it, you know, it got, I, I feel like he, he uh, Wink felt the urgency of that drive, knowing that if you know if we get the get the ball back and double dip, knowing that we had the ball after at the mm-hmm. start of the second half, that was a that was a key drive to get the ball back with at least a, a bit of time left on the clock. Yeah, great opportunity to stick the dagger in him, that's for sure. Well, I'd say what let's move to this part of the show where we just talk about individual players, and and uh, you're the guest. Please bring up one, and then we'll alternate and and make comments about each. Yeah, so the the first guy I, I think I'd quite like to talk about is um, Tyus Bowser, um, who, who I'm a huge Bowser fan. Um, re, you know, re, really like really like Bowser an awful lot. I think um, this was an interesting game for him. There was there was some there was some great which we which we always get with Bowser, but there was also some of the some of the challenges that you have with Bowser, which is uh, when when you get him when you get him in run defense against if he's lining up on the close side of the formation against the tight end he's he's fine uh, he'll he'll set the edge he'll, he he knows how to use leverage really well um, and keeps his pad level low and is able to to control the control the control the edge and set the edge if somebody schemes up a schemes up a little bit more to attack him and gets a gets a big body on him he he can he can lose out uh, and I, I wonder if that is a, a weakness that other teams will will look to will look to exploit into the future. I'm, that is by no way me disparaging the rest of his play, which again was very good. He's very, he's so good in coverage, uh, and also we saw 
you know, we we saw his pass rush chops on in this game too, uh, and the, and the <laughs> just I'm. I'm I'm in awe of the kind of the weapons he's added to his pass rush, given the deficiencies that he has in terms of size. But he's, you know, he's able to to come through guys now and has really added a, you know, a, um, a curve and a change to his to his sort of bread and butter speed rush. So I, I'm, you know, I'm impressed with him in lots of different elements. But I just wanted to bring up that one that one aspect that I wonder whether teams will try and attack in the future. Yes, it's interesting that he didn't really have all that many pass rushes in this game. And I've got I've got he's in my star treatment section of the article this week. And he has about 11 notes about him. Probably nine or 10 of them are good. OK, one of them is is always balanced because it's whatever I've got for notes for him. But uh, most of them are pass rush elements because he didn't really have any coverage notes. First of all, that's a good sign if you drop to coverage a lot because it means they're not targeting him. But but second of all, he he did it. And I want to say he had. Something like maybe 13, 14 times where he dropped the cover in this game. So it wasn't it wasn't just a little. And let me try and see if I can find that here real quick. Uh, I don't think I have it right in front of me. So, but anyway, it's, it's that's the order of magnitude. So something like oh, there it is. Nineteen times he rushed the quarterback to accumulate um, you know the array of pressures that he had, and it, it was. It was impressive. I thought, you know, he's good when he gets to the quarterback finishing the job, and, and not every Raven is good at that. Even Oway has had some difficulties with it. Um, but uh, but he did a good job, I thought, think, on that. I, I, I worry about run defense so much less with Tyus Bowser. For starters, you know, you have the down-by-down deployment of him. So Tyus Bowser can be a guy who, who plays a much greater percentage of snaps when the other team is trailing, when the other team is in more obvious passing situations, end of half. You know, all of those times when when he's going to be of more use to you. And then, you know, you, you you don't even really get the full value of what he brings to the Ravens pass rush without also considering how his coverage drops are creating opportunity otherwise for other players like Tavon Young yeah. or Chuck Clark, the blitz. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think it's a it's a it's a it's a it's not a real concern about his level of play. It's more a concern that some someone might sort of might find a way to attack that weakness in the future. But I, I, I'm not, you know, the, the other thing that I didn't mention, which is a real positive for him in terms of, um, in terms of in the run game. And actually we saw, uh, I'm going to use an example from the, from, uh, from a pass rush snap, but it, we, t- I talked earlier about uh, the importance of mental processing and deconstructing blocks and his sack, the, sorry, the second sack, he, um, he sees the, he, he, he reads the play. He knows what's coming. He knows he like, when you watch enough of the Broncos, like I did before the game, you know, you kind of can see what's coming. And he saw Tim Patrick coming on yeah. the, on the kickout block and got upfield in a hurry. And, and then Locke just couldn't get away from him. So he, that he, he got that sack with his brain, um, rather than with his feet, but obviously then deployed his feet very well that he, the speed that he does have. But I felt like that was, that's a, that's a, you know, that is a way that he's going to be able to, to help himself in the future in terms of in deconstructing blocks. Right. I mean, it's, it, it is Tim Patrick's. I don't want to overdo it, but Tim Patrick is six, five and has long arms. And, and that's a potentially difficult opponent for, for Bowser to get by. It's not like he's not pretty good at getting the body of, of, um, you know, a variety of, of taller tight ends and whatnot, but this is a, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's not a nothing block. It's, it's, yeah. uh, you know, I think he, it might be a harder block for him to defeat than even a running block block say. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. All right. All right. I, I want to talk about, let's talk about Justin Matabike. 
And what I liked about, I mean, obviously lined up as a three tech in this game and primarily had Natani Moody in the game. Uh, he, he gave him fits uh, in this. He uh, had a sack, a quarterback hit. A sack was a, was a, a thing of beauty in itself. Um, and he also had one rep, at least against Quinn Miners, where he's three tech on the other side. And he, he not only bowled him for pressure, but then also got his hands up late to get the, uh, the pass defensive. A great double on that play. I thought, again, you know, the Ravens have some finishers and they have some non-finishers in terms of their ability to, to complete sacks. But uh, I thought the, the fact that he was able to take down Locke with using – it is Locke. Yeah, it was Locke, right? Yeah. Using just the uh, shoulder pad was very impressive too. Yeah. I, so with Matabike, the thing I'm, I'm most impressed with, um, I, first of all, the, bur- the burst is is mm-hmm. off, the, off the line is is great for an interior player. But it's the a lot of people don't. I, I think when you when you know a defensive lineman in terms of use of hands, that the hand usage needs to be. It, it's about leverage. It's about getting your hands on and locking out. And the guy just. He just wins that battle all day long, especially in pass rush situations. And Natani Muti, you know, watching him, the, watching him, the snaps he's played the the, the first three games, he's he's he, you know he's going to be. I think he's going to be an, a, a solid player in the league. And Madabike just really did, like you say, he just ate his lunch most of the game. Um, and so it was it was it was a really impressive performance from a pass rush perspective from Madabike. The one thing, like I said earlier in, in the pod, was that you know I I wonder if. Um, you know, currently his play against the run is is hurting him in terms of his snap count. Um, so I'd I'd like I'd like to see some improvement there. But but he he's, he can also be a, an utter wrecking ball against the run. Uh, and so I think the Ravens also it's also beholden on the Ravens to utilize him better in the in their run defense as well. I Meaning allow him to be the sort of penetrator that he is as a pass rusher against the run too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, who's your next player? Uh, so I wanted to talk about Justin Houston actually, um, because I think some of the some of the stuff from Houston will have will have gone unnoticed for people. So we're, we're all getting jumping up excited about the away sack because uh, it looked great and it and it was uh, <laughs> it was great. But one of the reasons why that sack worked was why that sack happened was because Bridgewater couldn't step up because Houston had also won his rep. He'd uh, come through uh, through uh, his guy. I think it was Bowles because I think it was that way around. I think he'd gone through Bowles and there was nowhere for Bridgewater to go. And I, th- I think this is the thing that he's not only is he obviously great at setting the edge uh, and is a and is an extremely physical run defender who plays with leverage. He's he's also just a he's just he's a professional pass rusher and we're we're seeing i think you know exactly what exactly what i thought we would get um which is just a a, a very solid to good level of play each week out of justin houston and and it's it feels like houston and oway is is a is a reasonably formidable um combination and I think the reason is because they they work really well. They really complement each other very well, and and we're going to see some more of those type of moves where Oway comes around the outside with a speed rush, knowing that they've that they've planned it up together, and that there'll be a pincer movement with Houston coming coming through a guy. So there's definitely that that sort of I'm I'm excited about the combination of the two of them is is why I, I wanted to bring up Houston. Okay, so you're you're excited about those guys being on the field. It'd be mostly on a on a 
obvious passing down where they had three or more outside linebackers then because Bowser's always on the field for those. Okay. So they could also do, I mean, this is one of the interesting things is like the lost Aylin Hayes. They really need another guy who's a little bit reliable as a Sam linebacker. Owe is the obvious guy in terms of athleticism. It, it's, it's, you know, more duties to, to put on his plate, but he's learning things quickly. Um, is, is he a guy that, uh, you can, you can line up on first and second down sometimes with Houston on the other side, they've already shown a kind of a, 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 um, predilection to having Houston be their guy on first down. I thought it would be McPhee, but, but it's really been more Houston than McPhee so far. Yeah, I'm surprised at the lack of usage of Big V. We don't need to get into it, but I, you know, I, um, I am surprised that he. I was surprised that he was a guy that they um, were happy to to um, to cut and do the gentleman's agreement with to to bring mm-hmm. back. I, I I was surprised at that. So it, it is interesting that, but they, you know. Uh, the story about Houston and taking an awful lot less money than than he could have done out there on the open market sort of tends to suggest that they that they do think really highly of him. So that's obviously why he's getting the reps. But I think um, I think that's a possibility. I think the worry for me is that you don't you don't want to get into it. I'm not sure I want to get into too many situations where uh, I'm taking away away from from rushing the passer. He's he mm-hmm. is our. You know he is our weapon, and I want him to. I want him to continue to develop that part of his game. And I'm, I, I'm. You're right. He is picking up stuff quickly, and and maybe maybe you can start to get him to pick up even more stuff. But I feel like at the moment I would want him concentrated more on on that play at the line of scrimmage a little more. So, but but if you want to get them both on the field at the same time, you've got to compromise somewhere. So, yeah. Uh, they, I mean, one thing they they have an option to do is, uh, okay, I mean, obviously, uh, would typically be a rush linebacker. I think we'd agree with this at this point in his career, not a same guy. But they just don't have anybody else with Dalen Hayes out. There really isn't anybody else who's a who's a legitimate Sam linebacker. McPhee wouldn't drop the coverage. Neither would Houston. So uh, neither would Ferguson. <laughs> so all of those are kind of actually silly when you say them out loud. So so it's either him or Hayes has to be the backup Sam. And, and right now, Hayes is hurt. So you either have to play Bowser every single snap. You might want that characteristic or you have to have a way taking it sometimes. Yeah. And I'm, I'm a big Dale and Hayes guy. So it's kind of it is a bit disappointing that we've that we've lost him. But um, he, I, I think that was that was why I felt like that was actually a good a good pick. You know, a lot of people were sort of disappointed about the double dip at, at outside linebacker. But they're really very, they do feel like very different players. But I think you're right. Oway probably has the club in his bag and and is definitely the the guy who's the the one that could do it. The other option, but I'm hesitant to do it because I think people don't. I'm hesitant to suggest it because people people latch onto these kind of things and I, I like I. I it's a big position. It would be a big position change, but Malik Harrison has the, yeah, kind of the body type to do it. But I, I don't, I'm not, I, I'm suggesting it because people will see it as an oversight if we didn't suggest it, but I'm okay. not, I'm not necessarily advocating it. <laughs> I got to hit you up with this now because they, they played Harrison effectively at outside linebacker two or three snaps in this game. But I, it, it, seeing what's happening with Queen, and looking at the two of them and just seeing who's the better tackler, who, yeah. who makes more sense as a two down Mike, wouldn't Mike, a move to Mike be more normal? I, compl- I could, could not agree more with you. And I, mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm suggesting it because it's been suggested out there. I, I agree with you. I think he, he does, he would be for me that I, I thought he had, a, I mean, maybe we'll touch on him. I thought he had a pretty, I thought he had a good game yeah, uh, good this game. week. Um, Go ahead. Yeah. I just felt like he, I think you're right. It's, it's the, ta- it's the tackling element to it. 
but it's also it's also the it, I mean I, I banged on about this all, all podcast. It's it's the processing side of it. He 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 reads things he reads things better than Queen right now, and so. Mm-hmm. The, the the thing you're taught. So I, I, over the summer, I did the Scouting Academy, um, and one of the one of the key traits that that we are taught to look for is play speed. And play speed is not how fast you run; it's mm-hmm. how fast you run plus how quickly you how process. You process. And at the moment, Harrison has a quicker play. Harrison plays quicker than Queen currently, um, and it's because of his. It's because of the way he processes. And when he gets to the, and when he gets there, I just feel much better about Harrison mauling a guy um, than I do than I do Queen. He's a, he's a better block shedder too. I mean, he has some natural talent at that, some real strength. Um, you know, he's he's the size you want in your two down thumper. Uh, there's just everything would make sense for it, and and you know the Ravens. <laughs> It was never going to happen before, but there are people this offseason talking about Queen getting the green dot someday. That that ain't never happening. And you know what else? Harrison's never getting it either. Even if he ever becomes an every-down linebacker, it's just too much of an asset to, to have the flexibility to take all your inside linebackers off the field that, that, that the Ravens would, would ever do it. But I like the idea. I really do like the idea of, of Malik moving to the mic. And what he did in this game, I thought. I thought. I agree. I thought he had a good game. First of all, he had a really good tackling game. I thought didn't didn't have any misses as I scored it. He had that very nice play on the right sideline where he got off yeah. the block and made a tackle for. Was that a loss of three or gain of three? Either I think way, it was a gain of three, but it was yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, he, I agree with you, and I, I felt that that play is a really good microcosm of what you get from him. And then, and then I think relatively quickly after, you also saw the other side of him that you would lose if you took if you moved him to Sam. Actually, is uh, how well he takes on pullers. He's he is aggressive. Um, he is consistent, and I I, I just I, I love the way he does that. So I, you know, and that's exactly that's what you well he's he's doing that because because he's the because he's the will currently. But I, you know, I I just I do like that. I do like. That that side of his game as well does, does it wouldn't it be great though to have a, a queen maybe be a trailing player it just seems like all of the things that go with being a will linebacker are more natural playing a gap behind well that'll give him that extra time maybe to make his read properly or or who knows but it, it certainly creates more free run opportunities for him i believe you know look thinking back in raven's history Bart Scott was a guy, you know, a little bit undersized, but but very good at taking opportunities for free run. Of course, Bart Scott really did process very well, so it's, it's probably not a fair comparison. Yeah, I agree. All right, so let's see. Any other players we want to hit on? I do want to hit on Anthony Averett before we before we move on, and then maybe we'll take some mailbag questions and, and name our MVPs here. Uh, Anthony Averett, I thought, had a terrific game, and it's true he did give up that 32-yard throw kind of a back shoulder quality to it. I don't know if you'd call it a back shoulder throw. Maybe you would. Um, But uh, he did a good job, I thought, after he got kind of shoved off on the play, still recovering, maintaining control, saving the touchdown by by being able to make that tackle. Uh, Otherwise, in the game, he was excellent in terms of coverage. He really didn't give up very much of anything uh, with the interception thrown in there. The quarterback rating throwing to his targets was 22.4 in this game. I had three Three completions on eight targets. Uh, so a very effective game for Averett. Um, you, you mentioned the one thing on the, on the run play. I don't disagree. He was kind of in a contained position there on Williams. He probably should have stuck his nose in there. Um, minor problem for me. When a cornerback doesn't play good run, back, run defense, I'll live with it. <laughs> yeah, or maybe we're spoiled with Marlon Humphrey. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, it, it just it, yeah, it was a minor thing. It wasn't me. Um, me 
banging on the guy. He, he, I, I agree with you. I think he had a really great day in coverage. Um, and like I said earlier, again, in a day that could have been a bit of a mismatch for him, uh, he did a great job. And you know, he's he's. Um, we're we're very lucky that we were able to to keep him through through a through a kind of tough period. It was it was obviously um, good that he was a draft pick, and and so he was always probably going to stay on the roster. But you know, you have flashbacks to to Darius Williams and 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 losing him to the Rams, and you know, you you wonder if we can keep keep these good corners on the roster that we that we seem to find so often just to, for exactly the situation where there's an emergency. And I think we're we're, we're very lucky that we've been able to 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 keep. Favorite on, let him develop and get to this point now. Yeah, I, I, I mean, he was he was a fairly high draft pick. When he, was, fourth he? he was fourth. So, yeah, so yeah. They, they weren't going to ever give up on him. I don't think. I mean, yeah. I think I think of those guys like Shockey Brown and you know Warrior and Westry and guys that you know pick up from whatever secret sources they have, you know, to to, to get a good player. Uh, let's uh, let's move to the mailbag here for a minute, then. And uh, oh, before we do that, Averett, would you would you sign him long term, or would you do it right now if you could? I think that was a question in the mailbag, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, uh, so, uh, um, I want I I want to see a little bit more before I sign him long. Term. I, I want to see at least half a season. I think there, there was a bit of a debate when the question was submitted in the mailbag about. Um, hmm about whether we whether uh, the Ravens should be should be uh, signing him up on such a small sample size and then someone came back and said you do actually have to you do actually have to um sometimes commit to players before they show it because you you get them at a, a bit of a discount so right. maybe we don't want to want to show the league uh, and a and Averitt's agent another four or five games of good play uh, but I, I probably want to see just a little bit more of a sample size before I would I would commit what would what would at, even at this point be pretty good money i would think well that's i think that's really the question i I, at the beginning of this year i think you know you might have had a player you could get for three years for seven and a half million three years for maybe six to nine million let's say or even you know a fairly broad range and and that would have given both sides something good you know obviously divisible benefit is there he would get the income security for life uh, you know that the, the players crave. He'd still be a free agent at you know a little bit older, obviously, but 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 would would at least have that option. And you know, after watching what's happened to players like Matt Skura, like Brent Urban, in terms of you know their seasons not working out the way they'd hope to in their contract years, you know it it can be very rough. It's a steep cliff to drop off. And I think there's more players than you think that are excited about trying to get those kind of contracts. I'm not sure the agents are. I think the, I think the players are more interested in taking them. Yeah, I'm with you. And I, I think that with the four games he's played already, that 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 price has already has already gone up, I would I think, um, from the three year seven million. I yeah. think it's 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 gone up a, a decent amount already. I think um he's a guy that when you when you look at put it this way if they if they don't find a way to get him on a good deal which is probably why the question is now whether whether he should be re-signed if they don't find a way to get him on a good deal i i do think that becomes a pretty glaring need going in going into oh, the yeah. next off season yeah i mean you'd, you'd, you'd be elevating chris westry and you'd have to be finding the next nigel warrior after they've lost him but uh uh, you know they have a, they have a lot of older corners right now. Uh, you know it's very possible. Um, Peters has played his last game. Marcus Peters has played his last game as a Raven. I think you know the odds are probably greater than fifty percent. That's true. 
Yeah, uh, and and obviously with without Peters, like you say, that that room becomes Humphrey and Westry, um, and goes from what was a relative strength to 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 an area of need pretty quickly. Yeah, I, I guess we knew that was coming. We also know, even though Tavon, I think, has played very well this year, uh, you know, he's he's not going to be here next year at that contract number. So they're going to have to find some way to extend or renegotiate his deal for you know two to three more years. I would guess. Yeah. All right. Let's look at the mailbag. Obviously, you've, you've had this up in front of you. So I'm, I'm going to alternate questions and kind of the way we've been doing the last few weeks is just you pick a question you'd like and try and answer it. And then I might have something to say or I might move on to the next question. But I'll go first. So first one is I thought Oway had a better game than your comments. Um, would have had him two or three behind Bowser. What did he do wrong? Thank you. I, it wasn't what did he do wrong. This game, if you scored it notes wise, was just a highlight reel for the Ravens pass rush players. I mean, they're all putting a place. I kept Campbell, you know, out of, out of my top three. And I think I, I felt bad doing it, but I did it because he's, he's been in there the last few weeks and I wanted to have star treatment on some other player. But Oway had a fine game. Uh, no objection here. Yeah, should I? Uh, I'll go on to the next one. Um, sure. uh, is it me or is it uncommon to have such a healthy mix of vet and young players as stars every week on defense? Seems like in the past we were more reliant on older vets, but now lots of young guys stepping up. Mad away, Bowser, Averett, uh, with mid and older guys. Um, I don't think it's necessarily uncommon. I think it's a. I think it's a good. I think it's a good thing. <laughs> it's something that, as as um, Jeff, who, who made the question, points out, th- there are. You know, we've we've had a long time here in Baltimore where we've had older players hold, holding holding it up and older players on on long term contracts. There's a reality to the fact that we are about to to enter a, a Joe Flacco second contract era yeah. in terms of paying generational wealth to a to a quarterback, where we are going to have to get some contributions from some frankly cheaper players uh, which is an awful way to look at it but it is the bus- it is a business and and so we do need some of those younger players to step up who are early on in their co- in their rookie contracts is the other thing you know we need Dalen Hayes to be good when he when he comes back some of those guys this draft class they need to get three or four hits at least out of this this latest class so I do think it's a it's a good thing that there's a mix of, of youth and, and and veterans there and they're good veterans is the other thing I, I you know I, that's the other thing I would, I would point out, I think. The, the offensive side, I mean, they've had this, this benefit now for a number of years since the 18 draft, really, and having young players like Hurst and Brown. And, uh, you know, they only really had started off with one expensive guy. Stanley was still on his rookie deal. And, and the only expensive guy on the whole offense was Yonda, maybe Boyle to a lesser degree. But, you know, you have Andrews and you have Marquise Brown. I mean, it, they have all the running backs they've had. It's just been a historically efficient offense relative to cap that's going to change as you mentioned and the the players that will have to get younger are definitely on defense we've done a number of pods over the over the off season in terms of how cap's going to have to shift and you know you start have to start with probably players like campbell and brandon williams uh and and peters perhaps being in their last year with the ravens to to be able to afford jackson's contract all right, I'll go on to another question. Can you discuss each inside linebacker? No, we're not going to do that. And progress from last year. But I, I, I do want to talk about one because we didn't really talk about Chris Board much. Chris Board, prior to 2021-20, had been a good tackler. And he'd been a real good tackler on special teams. That's been shown. And this year, he's been a good tackler again. He really hasn't missed a bunch of tackles. I thought he played pretty well in this in this last game. And he made six or seven tackles to lead the team, whatever it was. Um, I, I think, you know, I, I still am not real sanguine about his 
uh, coverage ability. I'm not, I'm not happy about his ability to look between level two and three. Um, I'm really not even happy for his, his ability to uh, process quickly to get downhill to the right spot on a running back. But I think it, the fact that he's been making tackles when it gets there is, is a significant improvement from last year. Yeah, I would I would completely endorse this, endorse what you just said. I, I think um, he, he is now an intriguing option inside linebacker. You, 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 I would expect to see his snap count rise somewhat over the next over the next couple of games. Um, if if nothing more than to do what you said earlier, which was to you know to to maybe put Queen in some more advantageous positions uh, than, than they have done so far. Uh, so we've we've got Stevens and Elliot. One game only with Stevens starting. How much did we lose for not having Elliot? How far is Stevens from being starting caliber player? And of course, implications on Elliot's extension. Uh, so I, th- I think we did lose a significant amount from not having Elliot in this game. I think the main thing we lost was Elliot's click and close ability from from the back end. I felt I feel like. Um, Elliot is is a bit of a weapon uh, that they can use as well on the blitz. I, I, I think that we that we we saw flashes from Brandon Stevens, uh, uh, yeah, from Stevens, and I I I, I do. I, I do think that he is going. I, I I do think he's going to be a good player. I think we have got a good one there, but I think we're we're seeing normal growing pains with him in terms yeah. of his um, in terms of the fact that especially that he you know he's a he's a convert from from running back into an extremely weird defense at SMU um, as a corner and then and now coming into the league as a as a kind of all around versatile defensive back so definitely got to give him a, a quite a bit of a pass on on some of the on some of the areas for development in his game but i th- i think we missed quite a bit from Elliot and i think with you know Stevens is a, is a is a is a long way from from being Elliot's caliber of player um at this point you know it, it does bring up an in- interesting point in terms of extension because Stevens i think the area where i'm most concerned about him right now because i think he's going to get the coverage elements correct i th- i think i'm most concerned about him as a tackler and having him specifically as the last line of defense as the free safety is a little bit scary right now he's had some problems obviously with that um you know i think the, the thing i like about him better than i like about Elliot is something we've mentioned on this show before is that uh he and stone both have an ability to lay off a hit when they're behind a receiver. It's more of a Reed-esque uh, quality. Now, Stone really has it in spades. But but uh, to, a, to a lesser degree, I think Stevens has it, whereas Elliott is a closer and a finisher. So you show him the meat. He's going right for it in terms of that tackle. And he really it really means what he's going for is a pass defense to knock that ball loose as opposed to picking up interception, which obviously has a, a lot higher value. And, and, you know, you want safeties that are competent in, in making the judgment between those two things. So while I really love Elliot as a player, that's one area where I wish he'd get better. Okay. Let's go with one more. If we got it, how many hours does James have in the day? It comes from your, your, your friends at UK. Uh, I have a okay. job too, so <laughs> you, you do. What do you do for a living, James? I, I work in um, operations for a big education charity here in the UK. So uh, it's a it's a pretty it's a busy job. <laughs> so I have to find time to f- carve out lots of time to be able to do this stuff. I'm up pretty late most a lot of nights. Uh, that's that's uh, you know everybody who does this makes that sacrifice for some time, and then hopefully you get to retire at some point and do this full time, James, because you got a real knack for it. I well, got one more here. Are they overusing Campbell? Had so many staffs versus Detroit. I thought it would it, they give him a break with uh, two starters back. Uh, what do you think? 
Yeah, I, I don't think so. I think, like you pointed out earlier in the pod, he's you know he's used to playing he's used to playing long stretches of of a lot of snaps. I think I think the thing that people m- miss, given that I think Ravens fans often sometimes, well, casual Ravens fans won't won't know the kind of history of players and and Clay's Campbell. It was, you know, a model of consistency in terms of of um, of being on the field of his availability throughout his career. I, I went back and looked, and I, I I think he missed very few games over the last five six years before he joined the Ravens. So there's not necessarily a durability concern. Like you say, there is a there is a potential that you know he is getting up there in age, and we don't want him playing tons and tons of snaps. But I don't think the level that the Ravens have him playing at the moment, even in these games, is hugely concerning to me. It's not like a situation that I felt that they had last year where I felt they were overusing Wolf given his injury history. Oh, yeah. um, it's not that kind of situation to me. I think they're, I think we're, uh, personally, I, I think we're fine. I, I'd like to see, you know, some, I'd like to see him get slack, uh, you know, a, a bit lesser snap, snap count as we start to get into the meat of the season, but I'm not overly concerned. Yeah. I, what I'd like to see is the Ravens have a few more leads where they can afford to take some players off the field. And one of the nice things, and I think it's were really indicative, was they got Tavon off the field at the end of this last game. And that's really, I think, showing a good – I mean, not like they would not know this, but it's showing a good understanding of, of which players are really important to reduce snap count. And you, you had – you have to put 11 out there every play. It's just, that's the way the game is played. So you better have uh, uh, you know, a willingness to figure out who that is. Uh, you want to put out there defensive MVPs. Do you care to do this with me? Yeah. Uh, well, I, I, you know, I probably tipped my hat earlier in the, in the part. I, I, Chuck Clark would be my defensive MVP for this game. He's been, he gets taken for granted sometimes. And I, I just felt like he was all over the field in this game um, and used his, used his particular skills to, to be able to really affect the game and was a, was a big part of the, the reason why the defense was so dominant. Okay, I, I can't object to that. I wouldn't have objected if you had said Calais Campbell either, who I left no. off and felt bad about it. I, my number three guy, Justin Matabike, uh, very low total snap count, very impressive uh, number of pass rush events. Anthony Averett's my number two guy, extraordinary uh, uh, job of, of uh, holding down the right cornerback position. And Tyus Bowser's my number one guy who just, he, he had a wonderful game of, of uh, pass rush events given his relatively limited number as well. James, uh, thanks for coming on. First of all, it's great to talk football with you. We, we, it's an hour and 17 minutes, and it just feels like we just started. I just, I love this conversation. really appreciate you, you, you coming on. Yeah, ditto, Ken. It's, uh, it was great fun to talk to you. And like I said, yeah, it's 20 past 11 here at night, and uh, I, could, I could go on into the, into the early hours. All right. Tell, tell people again uh, where they can find you on Twitter and where they can find your work. Yeah, so uh, my Twitter handle is at NFL Ogden. Uh, so you can find me on Twitter there. I, I uh, write on my own website, which is uh, redstarbaltimore.com. There's less up there recently because I also write for russellstreetreport.com and I write the weekly battle plans piece. Uh, you can also hear me on the UK Ravens podcast, which comes out every Thursday. And me and Dev Panchois also do a podcast uh, where we talk about the the upcoming game uh, and look sort of in depth, more depth at my at my battle plans piece and you get to hear devs devs great insights too uh, as well as mine so that that's um that's great so you can find me on all those places okay really really enjoyed dev of course a longtime friend of the show and and i've known him for probably 15 years at this point uh 
If you're looking to do a pod with me, we have an opportunity. We're looking back at 25 years of Ravens history and trying to get people interested in, in taking some very specific focus point. Again, we're not looking to do the Mount Rushmore of Ravens. We're not looking to do your top 10 Ravens of all times. Those topics have been discussed to death. We're looking for discussion of somebody who wants to discuss Corey Ivey or what happened to Jared Gaither and how he's self-destructed. Or you want to go back earlier into backup quarterbacks for the Ravens and talk about this. All of those topics are of interest to me. Uh, we've had a lot of people talk about individual games. That's cool as well. Um, whatever you'd like to do, we're, we're interested in those kind of offbeat historical pods that you, you would never otherwise hear about this thing and, and, and have it discussed. Uh, give me a DM. We'll, we'll hammer out a topic. If I think what you've got is a little bit too broad, which is usually the case, then we'll narrow that down and talk about some specific things. But really appreciate you coming on, James. Thanks, Ken. Anytime. We'll- We'll talk to you next time on Film Study. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.